Good morning, and you all may be seated. If you would all go ahead and please open your Bibles or look at your inserts and turn to Luke 1, verses 57 through 80 is where we will be hearing today from the Word of our God. As you're turning there and as you're moving there, I just want to say thank you personally. Take a little bit of personal privilege and say thank you on behalf of City Union Mission, behalf on your neighbors, of those here in this city. Uh, as a church, you have all been incredibly generous. So we've, we've collectively raised over $3,000 at this point. Um, and I know that more continues to trickle in. There's a, there's a full barrel out in the, in, 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 in the narthex. And we, we thank you for that. We, we praise you for that. It's an incredible privilege that we are able to show love to those in our community, to, to show hope to those in our community. And this week, those gifts will go directly into action. They'll go directly into use this week for lives of many kids. But our bigger hope is, the bigger hope for me personally as, as a, a director work of community assistance there, the, the bigger hope for City Union Mission is that people, as we are extravagant with them, with these gifts, as we're extravagant with the love of God, that they would come and see and know and taste the realities of that God that they would come and know and see that Christ really did come and live, and he was born, and he died, and he lived that sinless life, and he rose again. And we do that by connecting to Bible studies and hopefully local churches. So there's been much fruit. There's been wonderful things. We'd love to share that with any of you uh, if you have questions about that. But without going any further, just saying thank you. appreciate that greatly. So go ahead and please join me as we read from Luke 1, 57 through 80 the inspired and errant authoritative word of God. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what we, he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed. And he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Holy, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hands of our enemies, might serve him without fear, and holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. 
you would please pray with me. Father, we just thank you for your word, that it never returns void. As we've heard from it this morning, as we open it and, and, and hear what you have for us, God, we ask that you would apply this passage to the corners of our hearts. We're afraid for it to go. We know that you are at work, and we ask that you work now in this time. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so as you all look at this passage that we just read, it's brimming with hope. And I think it's important, before we go any further, to acknowledge that hope that we see in this passage, that hope that we see here, that hope that we really see really all over scriptures. But I think it's important, as we talk about hope, to acknowledge something else. Every single one of us, whether you're in elementary school or whether you are far older than I am, has hope. There's hope in plans that you've laid. There's hope and things that you want to do, things that you hope to create. Hope that you're going to get an A on that final term paper at Summit Christian Academy or at mom's table. Hope that she won't fail you. There's many things that we hope for. Hope that you might get a Christmas present this year. Hope that that certain thing that you're desiring in the deep corners of your life will be answered. Now, we've spent the last few weeks in this narrative, and I'm so thankful for the work of, of Pastor Aaron and, and, and my brother Randon before me, and how they've done so much heavy lifting to get us here to this point, and, and to help us as we get to this passage, this part of the story where we look at hope. Now, as has been mentioned, and, and so thus I will not do too much other than paint in broad strokes of some of what has gone before us, but we're here dropping into the narrative. We're here popping into the story again at a moment where we're moving into a third section. We're moving into where we saw two weeks ago, ultimately this section of Zechariah, who we're introduced to. And he's older. And the text says this to us, that he and his wife are older, that she is advanced in years, most likely well beyond 60. We think about that, and if you think about this too, it says that she's with child, like she's going to have a child. And now, you think about that even in our context, if one of the members here in our, our, our church who are 60 or better were to show up, my eyebrow might raise a little bit. Well, that's what we're confronted with. That's what we're seeing. We're seeing this picture here. We're seeing this unfold here in such a way that we're really seeing something profound. And actually, then last week, we saw something even much greater than in many ways. We saw what Randon unpacked for us of, of this uh, this magnificent prophecy, this magnificent section of Mary and this fulfillment that the baby, woo, when is greeted with, with that of his Lord, leaps in the womb. That also might make your other eyebrow raise. So we think about this and we look at this and that's where we see ourselves, actually, at this narrative. As, as this continues, we find ourselves now where Elizabeth, who was talked about, who's this older woman, is now six months pregnant. She's starting to begin to show, and we see her here at this moment. We see her here at this point. That's where, that's where that was, I'm sorry, last week. As we now move beyond that here, we're seeing the birth three months later. But there's something here implied within all of this, and something that Aaron hit on a lot actually two weeks ago, that there's doubt of Zechariah, that there's doubt that he had, and so there was a, a consequence in many ways for his sin, that he, he was mute for nine months. 
If you had three eyes, that might make you stagger to see Zechariah walk out of the temple and he's stumbling and mute for nine months. But it's a faith issue that he had. There is an issue that he had here ultimately that we see with his faith. That he was doubting something he'd hoped for. That of a child. Now, each of you might be doubting whatever it is that we just talked about a moment ago, that there's something that you're hoping for. Now, the things that I said a minute ago may not directly apply to any of your lives, but there's something within us, something deep within you, within me, that you're hoping for. And I want to take a moment and say that is exactly what we're preaching about here today. That is exactly my desire, my purpose, and hope. Is that ultimately, that hope that you see, that desire, that dream, lives within you today, there is fulfillment for that. There is hope for that. That the fulfillment of this prophecy that we're going to unpack here in just a minute has great certain promise for you. It had promises fulfilled for Zechariah, but it has great promises for you. Now again, that is my hope and desire for you today, that you would see that your hopes, your dreams, your desires, that there is certain promise offered in the fulfillment of this prophecy through Christ Jesus for you today. Now again, we're going to see this here in two sections. And both of these are, are before you in your bulletins. First, you're going to see promises fulfilled through that of a child. And second, you're going to see promises fulfilled through that of the prophecy of Christ Jesus. Now, there are going to be three subpoints for each of these. For those of you who are careful note takers, unlike myself, you're going to see three subpoints for each of these. So, without further ado, I want to take a moment and, and, and say look to these, the certain fulfillment for the hope that you have in your life to be fulfilled. All right, now go ahead and look with me at our text here for a moment. Please drop your head and you'll see in our first section that there is going to be satisfaction and promises which are fulfilled through a child. Look and read verses 57 and 58. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her. And they rejoiced with her. Now our first couple verses here sets this stage and reminds us of this elder woman, Elizabeth, has now given verse, and there's this picture of joy. You saw that right there at the end of verse 58. Look there, you see that joy of that of her community, of the joy of those people who are there. Now this first thing that I want to see, that that is our first thing that I want you to see related to our, our, our first section of text today. There's a picture of joy. There's a promise of joy when this child is born. As satisfaction has come, we're seeing that of what it was mentioned in verse 13 of the same chapter, that their prayers have now been heard, and Elizabeth will bear a son. As we saw nine months before, Zechariah responded in such a way that he, he questioned, he doubted, and he was struck down mute. But now their prayers have been heard. The great longings that they had. And Elizabeth, on the other hand, as this has come, has visited their household, is joy. Joy of the community. Joy of the people who are there. That's not an accident, I think, in any sense of the word. And actually, when you get into the Greek, you can see it pretty vividly. 
that this is not an accident at all of how they're talking about this joy here. And I think it really is pushing that picture of what we saw with Zechariah early on versus that of Elizabeth's response here, this picture of a lack of joy to that of true joy, of that of her community. But now here as well, joy moves beyond this and we see a second thing. In verses 59 through 63, we see beyond joy a societal response. We see a picture of what society is expecting to do, what they're hoping to do. Now they're here to circumcise the boy and give him a name. It's, it's, it's a circumcision party. It's not a circumcision party like you see in, in, in the later <laughs> accounts from, from Paul, but they're having a party here. They're doing what is culturally normal. What is to be expected here after this boy has, has been born, after eight days, they're now saying, okay, we as Jewish people are to give this child a name. We are to recognize and look to the covenant, the faithfulness of our God, and, and to give that sign here in this place to our child. Now, Calvin goes about this here, and he talks about this, and I, there's a lot of debate as to whether this was a fulfillment of something which is culturally normative, and that it would be culturally normal to, to call the son after dad or whether it be something else. And I, I, I'm going to speak to what he ultimately says here for just a minute. So Calvin speaks here on this section. Yes, there were those before the father of John who were certainly called Zacharias, and perhaps the son of Barachias, or Zeph Barachias. However, we see persons contending to the prevailing customs, not the sacredness in the name of a child for God's glory. Now he goes on further and he says this, the sacredness of names ought to encourage believers to make a godly, a profitable selection that serves as a guidepost to instruct, admonish, and to excite our children to imitate potential namesakes who have gone before them. Now obviously we're not saying that you have to give a biblical name. I think Calvin maybe would be actually saying that. But I think that there's something implied within this, that there's a sacredness that, of this moment. There's a sacredness of what is going on with the naming of this child that should be happening. And we can see this because we see these people are coming together and they're doing what's culturally normal. Rather than saying, well, what is it that God has said? What is it that God has asked? And we actually know from just a few verses earlier that the angel Gabriel had told Zechariah, you're going to name him John. So maybe the people didn't know this. Maybe they were coming and thinking, okay, we're going to do these things. But we're seeing at this juncture that there's an opportunity to go left, slightly left, but left nonetheless, when God says to go right. When God is laying before what is at stake is in many ways his ways, his glory. Now, biblical names are not something that I'm sure that we're all thinking about, but I'm sure there are areas in each of our lives that we're thinking about, or hopefully we are thinking about, where we're not navigating those decisions based on God's glory. We're not making those decisions based upon what is it that my God desires of me? What is it that he has asked? What is it that he has written through his holy inspired word that are helpful for this situation, that instruct me in this situation? And that takes time to know the scriptures. That takes time to understand these places, to see these things, to be people who are focused ultimately on God's glory. We're seeing here, I think in this moment, just in these brief couple of sentences really, that they're beginning to, to turn and look towards honoring human parents. 
rather than actually what the exact thing that is being done. The very naming of this child, John, which means God is gracious. It's all about God and his grace. But Elizabeth does something. She says, no, no, no. Don't, don't look at my old lovey-dovey husband. Look at my God. He's been gracious. And we see that dad confirms this as well. Then he goes and he says, on a writing tablet, his name is John. God's at the centerpiece of this story and every story throughout scriptures. From Genesis to Revelation is all about our covenant-keeping God who has stepped into history in human form right here as we're celebrating that. Emmanuel, God with us. This birth that is coming. God is the one who has been gracious. He's gracious to Zechariah and Elizabeth. He's gracious to John. He's gracious to you and me. He has been oh so gracious to you and me. And you may be sitting here this morning. You may not find yourself sitting in a moment that feels grace-filled. You may find yourself sitting here in a moment that is challenging, that is broken. And you say, oh, oh, yeah, that's great news for Zechariah, but this is not great news for today, for me. I've got this thing, this thing that I wanted hope for, it sure does not feel at all fulfilled. Well, I want to encourage you in this moment to not to look to the things that you feel. I want to encourage you to look to the one who has gone before you, to the one who has been gracious. He's been gracious here to Zacharias. He's been gracious in giving this child that we talk about here in this first section. But he's done something far greater than just giving a child. He goes on in that second section and, and, and he moves on in, a, in, in such a different way. But he, he responds here in such a way that we saw just a, a half a chapter earlier and he said, ah, with grumbling. And he spoke in such a grumbling way that basically when Gabriel visited him, that it, it was a question. He was questioning him. He didn't say, may it be so as your servant as you say to your servant, as Mary said. And that's probably where many of us find ourselves in certain corners of our lives. So consider that and look to that. Find hope in that. Because God did step in and give him the very thing that he desired of that of a child. But something far more. But there may be moments in your own world, there may be horrible things that truly are happening even this day that you might even say, okay, by the strength of modern medicine, I am, I'm past some situation that I had, that I've had physical therapy and I did all these things and I strived and I worked hard and I did these four-day treatments and did these things and I'm thankful for all the work that I was able to do through modern medicine. No, no, no. Scripture reminds us again and again that when he does these things, he actually removes barriers and he removes this barrier here, that of a, of a tongue. He looses Zechariah's tongue. Now, we shouldn't necessarily expect this physical barrier to be removed, like that of him you know, being able to speak again. But there is this certain promise, this certain hope that is fulfilled of that of a king, of that of Christ Jesus, that things may be broken for our 90 years, 80 years, 35 years that we've had on this earth. Let me rephrase that they will be broken. 
Because through Adam and through the garden and through, through the first Adam, there was a fall. That humanity is not living in a perfect way. Yeah, there may be physical relief. But if you're finding hope in that physical relief, you're actually trusting in worthless idols. You're trusting in your strength. You're trusting in a place or thing or hoping in something that cannot fulfill you. It cannot redeem you. It cannot save you. It's a posture of his heart. As we were talking about in Sunday school lately, uh, in one of the Sunday school classes we've been talking about, it's a heart issue that is going on here. It's a heart issue with Zechariah, and it's a heart, heart issue with each and every one of us in this room. Do we have to be killing sin or it be killing thee? Yes, physical relief is sweet. It may come. But there is certain eternal and spiritual relief that is always much greater than the joys of temporary relief of this day. Now it is certain. And that's actually where we actually find ourselves as we move to the second section of Scripture. In verses 67 through 80 is where you see a lot of this hope, this, this, this brimming with hope picture. It's almost this mountaintop experience, if you will, that Zechariah says now nine months later, his, his mouth has been opened. And we ultimately are seeing here a second truth, a second part of our outline today, which is this, that our satisfaction and hopes are only fulfilled in the prophecy and fulfillment of Jesus Christ actually being fulfilled. And thank God it actually has been fulfilled. That the plan A has been done, that it is finished. He has finished the work on the cross. That we, so we celebrate that with a baby being born and the beauty of it and childbirth and that hope that things will be right until that child lies to you for the first time or as their uh, diapers and vipers, as was mentioned today, that they are going to find themselves sinful. And you're going to find yourself saying, man, this was not quite what I hoped for. And this is not quite what I was expecting Now, Zechariah begins here with his loose tongue. And listen to the very first thing he says. Look with, uh, look with me at verse 67. Excuse me, I'm sorry, verse 68. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. So the very first thing, after his tongue has been loosened, and these people are sitting there and they're waiting saying, what is this child going to be? What is this child John, this, this God is gracious, going to be? And instead of him talking about John, he says, blessed be the Lord God. Blessed be that man. Blessed be God alone. Now he starts with a place and a focus of attention of God Almighty, and he quickly moves from there in this first verse to that of Redeemer. For he has visited and redeemed his people. It's not just earthly joy. He's talking about true and utter redemption, meaning that there was something that these people had to be saved from. Just like our name, Christ the Redeemer, there's something that we had to be saved from, to be redeemed from, which our Redeemer has done. Christ our Redeemer has finished these things. Blessed be that man. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. He's visited us. 
He's redeemed his people. No, it's not just his earthly joy of a son being born. It's about God being present. You're going to see this in addition. As we see that he has redeemed them, he's created a savior. He's brought salvation. Verse 69 says this. He raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of a servant, David. Now, salvation is something that, that we, we saw all throughout the Old Testament of that of what was expected from the right line, from the coming line. It had to be somebody coming from the house of David for, for what Israel was expecting. And, and, and Christ fulfills that line. He has that right line. He has that right lineage. We see this in places referenced like Psalm 18, uh, Psalm, uh, Psalm 89, 24 as well. Uh, Psalm 112, I think it's verses 9 and 10. He says, that one that David talked about in, in, in the Psalms, that one's coming. That one is Redeemer and Savior. That one in Mary's womb that we just heard about, that small child who's still forming, isn't the image of the living God. He is the living God. He is bringing the salvation. And then Zechariah is blessing that God. He's speaking to that man. And I think that takes us to a second thing that we see here in this second section as well. That moves beyond there. And Zechariah is looking at the covenant God, that God has made with his people. That's point B that you see in this second section. Is that, God is, that Zechariah is considering the covenant God has made with his people. Remember, they're here for a circumcision. They're here, eight-day-old Zechariah. That is what is going on. So he is looking at this, and he's looking to that of, of, of circumcision, of that of the people saying, hey, look what God has kept with this covenant with Abraham and the sign that we were to apply to our children. Pretty amazing he's doing it right now, that when he looses my tongue is at this moment, at this place, now as all good covenants required, as all good covenants needed, there had to be a blood sacrifice. So I'm sure at this moment they weren't looking to and thinking of that and thinking, man, this is an this is interesting thing for a covenant-keeping God for there to be a blood sacrifice here. But we as Christians know, having seen the full un uh, unfolding of what Christ Jesus has done, see that blood sacrifice that he's made. See what he has done. He is able to redeem and has redeemed. This is what the covenant requires it required that God would keep his covenant to his people. He's not, Zechariah is not looking to the earthly hope of his son. He's not pointing to what it is that he thought that his son would ultimately look like. Or even how the fact that God has, after many years, visited him and visited his wife and given him a child after 40 years, 30 years, maybe more of him being faithful, serving in the temple. And it said that, that, that earlier in the text that he and Elizabeth were blameless. They, as far as the law keeping, they kept the law. They continued to keep these things. But there was a hard issue, as already mentioned. Well, look at this. And what I love, after he's unfolded these things, he basically says this. First, as we know, that we have God who is going to redeem and save his people. Second, he's a covenant-keeping God. Now third, let me introduce you to my son, John. At that moment, he then shifts a little bit in verse 76 to talking about his child. 
But he doesn't talk about the great things, oh, the places you'll go, oh, the things you'll see. He says, child, you will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord and prepare his ways. Now, that's profound, actually, in many ways, because uh, Zacharias was, was, was a priest. He was one of the 24 divisions that was expected that in many ways he would follow in, in, in dad's footsteps and say, oh, you know, you will keep these uh, rituals, that two weeks a year you will, from age 25 onward, keep these things, and that you would come before all the feasts and do these things. The, a lot of people speculate as to how much that actually meant, but it was probably somewhere in the neighborhood of three to six weeks a year that, that he'd been doing for years and years, and people would expect that Okay, Zechariah's son, Zechariah Jr., will be a, a priest of that lineage. No, no, no. He will be a priest of the lineage of the Most High. And we actually know that because in verse 80, it then says he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. It wasn't that he started on day one going to the temple and doing things like other priests would do. But Zechariah here... With his son, after many years, a hope, a satisfaction, a promise fulfilled, says, no, 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 you, child, will be a prophet of the Most High. You, child, will go before the Lord and prepare his way. And you will give knowledge of salvation to his people. And the forgiveness of their sins. And why is that? Why is it that they have the forgiveness of their sins? Because of the tender mercy of our God. It's because of that tender mercy that he had a child. It's because of that tender mercy that his earthly hopes were fulfilled. But you know what? They got old. Zechariah, John, they're not around here anymore. They could not perfectly fulfill all things. They could not live eternally. here on this earth. So we look to something greater. We look to that which is promised and proclaimed as greater. And we see that here. Even in the birth of his child, he says, no, 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 look beyond John. Look to Emmanuel. Look to God with us. Look to this baby who will be born in just a couple more months from Mary. And how it means he's fulfilling hopes for them with certain redemption for eternity. The certain reality of what is to come. For those who by faith repent and believe, your wildest physical hopes, dreams, and satisfactions will be met in far greater abundance in Christ Jesus. That's what he's saying in this prophecy in many ways. That's what he's saying as we unfold this. In such a way that this child who is coming, look to this child that's not yet here, but now we have seen. Look for what I'm saying he's going to do, but look what God is saying through me, really more so, is going to happen. This is truly through his birth and his sinless life and his sinner's death and his burial and his resurrection. Because if it's not for that resurrection, he's just a man. Like Zechariah and John, you and me, but he's more. 
He is God with us. He is the fulfillment of what all those Old Testament prophecies speak on. It's, it's the fulfillment of these things. We look and see this, this hope of a son in this section. It's this beautiful section that goes through these, these, these two spots, these two spots of first Elizabeth speaking of joy and the family speaking of joy. And then I'm saying, no, 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 it's, it's not about us. It's about God as being gracious. Even when I didn't feel like it for the last 40 years, that God has been gracious. And no, 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 let me go even further and say it's not about him being gracious necessarily and just giving this child here. God is gracious that he is redeeming Israel. That he is a covenant-keeping God. That he has done the work. It's all about his glory, not ours. Not this little child who's being born today. continues to move in such a way, as you look through this exposition, you really do see those two truths in this way. That first section, that of a physical son. The satisfaction of physical things through that of the birth of a son. That physical things will be satisfied for us. Partially. But certainly not completely. But second, we see in this second section, the certain promise that things will be satisfied completely. That things will be satisfied completely in the one who is being prophesied about. The one who is coming. Now again, think about this. As we look, as we move towards our, uh, the conclusion of our time together, I want to take a moment. For we, we've seen what the text says now. And we, we've hopefully seen him moving in and through this. And that he is touching your lives right now through his word. He's applying it to your life. So as you consider these two truths... Again, I want you to look at Zechariah, who has, again, 35, 40 years, been on duty, a couple weeks a year. All said and told, I, I added it up, it's probably in the neighborhood of four years, could be more, that he has spent in the temple doing these things. And he's done them well. He, he's performed the rituals. He's done the things that God has asked of him. He's, he's fulfilling these things. But what he really wanted was a son. Because we see that earlier in, in chapter 1, that your prayers have been answered. And, in, and immediately what comes is that about childbirth. That of a child. Not of God. So it was for nine months he had to think about that. For nine months he had to, to ruminate on these things. For nine months he had to wait for this child. But really wait and consider and think and see, no, no, no. The very one that I as a Jew have been waiting for is coming. He's fulfilling those prophecies. Yeah, he's lived blamelessly with his life. But in some ways, he, he really was not. His heart was in the wrong spot. But look at this. And consider, again, where or in what way is the hope that you were thinking about when we started? That thing that you were hoping would be fulfilled... In what way has it not? Has it not been fulfilled? Has it not been met? Where is the hope of this risen child, of our risen God, not soaking to those places in your life? 
that it feels like there is no promise fulfilled, that there is no freedom coming, that your relationship might not be made right with a new child like Zechariah. It's a thousand other things in each and every one of our minds. Now, if those things were perfectly met, and I would say having an old age, this being met of that of a child for this man was pretty close to perfection of an earthly thing. It was a pretty strong fulfillment of a promise. Yet he goes and he says, it doesn't fully satisfy, it can never fully satisfy. Is that your heart's cry? If that thing does not get met, if that area of your life is not met, do you find yourself saying, still I will praise you, God. Still I will hope in you. Because I know the fulfillment is certain. I know the prophecy has been fulfilled. I know what you have done, Christ Jesus. How you came and lived in such a way so that we all might have hope. So think about that. Think about those places that you're struggling in, those valleys to find that hope that really Jesus is the Savior of the world in that valley. Find yourself saying, I'm going to read and trust in his word and in those places, in those places where I'm needing truth to be applied. I'm going to read his truth and let it transform my heart. Go to our passage today. Go to Luke 1 and say, okay, where am I struggling to see and believe that this is being applied to me? That there is redemption that is promised for me. That he is my redeemer. That he is my savior. That he is the covenant-keeping God. And that I will bless his name all my days. Find yourself in your prayer life praying His word back to Him in such a way that you're saying, Blessed be God, for He has visited and redeemed His people. He has raised up a horn of salvation. Because of His tender mercy, He guides my feet. Or He guides your feet into the way of peace. It is through Him All things are completed. If you would please pray with me. Father, we thank you that you sent your son into this world. That we hear about that as we celebrate that at this Christmas season. That you are enough. That if you, in your divine mercy, decide to not satisfy the desires of our physical life today, that will be enough. Because we have the certain fulfillment and hope of eternity. May we cling to that. May we hope in that. May we find the truth of your scriptures resonating and and dropping to deep places in our lives. We ask this in your name, O Lord.